Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from just outside of New York City and from the Jersey Shore. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? This is glorious, Andrew. It's, I mean, I've had some great settings working on this podcast. The back of a cab in Kiev, uh, you know, racing, racing along to a Champions League final. Um, a French bistro, a noisy French bistro for the Champions League final last year. And this is this is one of my more relaxed venues, I would say. It's the uh, the porch of an Airbnb in Avon in Jersey, uh, just literally 200 yards from the ocean um, on a beautiful night. Just absolutely gorgeous. Um, blessed, as the kids say on Instagram. That sounds heavenly. That does sound very nice. Let's trade places. What do you say? Um, no, I don't want to move to Connecticut. Uh, I don't live in Connecticut, so you're in luck. Um, let's see. What, what a podcast we have coming up for you. Boy, oh boy, did a lot happen this past weekend. We'll, of course, get into the Premier League action. Uh, some high-profile matchups. City, Newcastle, Spurs, United, uh, Chelsea, West Ham. A lot to get to there. Uh, also, of course, Lionel Messi has added another trophy to his cabinet with a League's Cup victory for Inter-Miami in quite dramatic fashion. Should We should One game. say, holy cow, what an unbelievable, ridiculous ending. So we'll talk a little bit about our uh, our kind of lasting impressions of that tournament. Uh, a few other things. Christian Pulisic made his debut for AC Milan today, and it was sensational. Uh, so we'll get into a little bit of that. But JJ, JJ, a bigger, the biggest trophy of them all, at least in the women's game, was handed out over the weekend. And Spain... For the first time, are your FIFA Women's World Cup champions? Congratulations to them! I say for the first time, JJ. It it certainly does not feel like for the last time. Absolutely not. That was a stunning performance, utterly stunning. I mean, this is the team that kind of faked us out a little bit by the fact they got pumped four nil by the Japanese. You know, I I think we thought, oh, the problems in the camp here. Pl- 
plus the players they don't have, it's going to catch up with them. But it, it, that wasn't the case at all. They were absolutely scintillating. Um, there's a video on Eric Winalda's Twitter that people should get a look before people, before it's taken down. And it's just a, he's recording from his TV. And it's of the Spanish goalkeeper catching across in the first half, rolling it out, and Spain building through what was a really aggressive closing down and press from England. And the skill and ability and just dexterity in tight corners to move that ball down the left-hand side, all the way down the field, incisiveness into a chance for themselves. What was just so good. I... I don't think a men's team, I don't think the men's Spanish national team have, have moved the ball with such precision. And again, incisiveness. Um, it, it was a joy to watch. Like England, like 1-0 flattered England. I'm not saying England didn't come, get into the game. I'm not saying, saying they didn't have their moments, sure. But, but honestly, 1-0 flattered England. Uh, yeah, in some ways. I mean, look, Spain also missed a penalty. So right. Uh, I mean, it certainly, it very easily could have been double what it wound up being. I thought, look, I thought England were fine. Like, I thought that they, I don't think they played a bad game. I think Spain, I think we exit this knowing, I feel comfortable in saying the best team won this tournament. I I feel like we can walk away saying that. that. That's not. How many teams win a tournament, though? Like, look at the dysfunction. You have to wonder what this side would have done to the tournament if everybody was involved, or or maybe maybe they wouldn't. Yeah, maybe maybe the X factor was rancor. There's <laughs> maybe I there's, mean there could be a there could be a togetherness that builds out of that sort of hostility. I mean, well, Jorge want... Vida wasn't involved in it anyway. Well, I mean, well, you said before that you know Spain maybe fooled us into thinking I forget the exact wording that you used, but they kind of tricked us into thinking maybe they weren't up for this or or this good of a team from what we saw earlier in the tournament. But I think that it, it's more than that. I mean, like for however great we now know them to be, if you think of what the stories were around the Spanish side leading up to this tournament, it was all negative. Like there was yeah. no, re- it was not, there was no harmony in camp. How many times do we talk about how important that is? We were talking about that just a couple of weeks ago that we had a guest on saying to us that, you know, in these tournaments, when you're living together and, and like you're, you're this unit closed off from society, how important harmony is within the group. This, I mean, maybe the players felt that way. Although you hear about rifts between the Barcelona players and the Real Madrid players on Spain, because on the women's side, because of the Real Madrid players, not sort of latching on to the protests that so many of the Barcelona players were a part of with the Spanish Federation and with this manager. So I don't know if that you didn't hear much about that during the tournament, but that was something that was out there beforehand. I don't know how that manifested itself, but everything with this manager with, you know, their two time back-to-back Ballon d'Or winner in Alexia Puteas coming off a torn ACL. What sort of condition was she going to be in? And by the way, we did not get the best version of her. That's the thing is like with all this disharmony, we thought, okay, well they have the best player in the world. So that should help. She wasn't close to what she normally is. And this still Spain was still able to persevere even through that. So it, it really, I mean, it's really an incredible story and you're right to wonder just like if, if they could do this with all of this noise around them, I mean, just, what is the ceiling for them? I I want to I want to do two things. The first is to to bring up something I I've talked about before, and I I, I just want because I mean you've been around sports all your life, both as a fan and in a professional capacity. 
Well, I was listening to an interview with the uh, former Irish rugby international Bernard Jackman. I feel like it must have been a year ago now, and it stuck with me because I'm sure it's the second time I've said it on the podcast. And he said when he played in French rugby that if things were going well, that somebody would often come into the locker room or what they'd have a fight. Basically, they would create tension. They would create discomfort. And that that actually helped them train better and helped them play better. And I know me and you have talked about Jose Mourinho, who who, who liked to to live. We felt in 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 a in a bath of toxicity. That's what he liked his teams to be bathed in, to be doused in, um, or that's what we feel. And 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 out of that, he would get performances. And I'm just wondering if it is if it is something. Um, in the human psyche and the sportsman psyche that sometimes they need to feel victimized. They need to, and I'm not saying their victimization wasn't real. I think there's, there's real grounds for what was going for what the Spanish players were feeling and, and for the reasons for behind the protest. What I'm saying is sometimes grievance and proving points and almost pushing against uh, like harnessing certain dark forces and propel the team forward. Like that's that's the first thing I wanted well, to say. Well, to expound on that, before can you, you react leave to that? that? Yeah, before you leave that, I think it's a I think it's a great point. Now, what's interesting in this situation is, like for example, we in the U.S. Obviously, you've been here long enough to know the regard that the Miracle on Ice, the nineteen eighty U.S. Olympic hockey team, the regard that that team is held in. And when you watch documentaries and when you listen to players speak, even the movie Miracle, in that they really explore this idea that Herb Brooks, the the coach of that team, they took players from different colleges. That's what that team was. And they were rival schools and, you know, with real fierce rivalries between one another. And so Herb Brooks sort of changed his persona and became a, a, a taskmaster villain. And it's it comes out in the wash that maybe that necess- isn't necessarily who he was as a guy, but he needed to be that guy so the players right. could stop hating each other and focus on one common enemy and come together and hatred around him. Now, I don't know if they hated him, but that was sort of what he that was sort of the model that he was going for. Now, what's interesting is I think in that situation it felt like a calculated coaching decision. With Spain, I feel like they have bungled everything along the way but these players happen to be so gifted and so great and so technically advanced that they these these players have been able to overcome all of the bungling of the spanish federation and this coaching staff i don't think i don't think this coach set out on some sort of mission to go the herb brooks method here i i think that they may have made a lot of mistakes and sort of as a coaching staff it feels like they've sort of backed their way into this kind of glory i i couldn't agree with you more um, this this is a man, you know, when they're doing the film about uh, Vilda, they'll say this was a man apart, and yeah, a man apart from like everything. Like watching the celebrations, Jonathan Liu of um of the Guardian uh, tweeted a a video where it just showed, like he's been there's been videos of of the coaching staff being snubbed and ignored mm-hmm. all tournament long, and then in this moment of celebration. There's no bygones. There is not even a second of of um, of a rapprochement between players and staff. The staff want the want to be close. There's it's basically a circle, and the and the girls are the 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 champions are Spanish players are dancing up and down, but they've got their back to him, and he's in the middle of it, and he's jumping up and down like going, "Yay, I'm a part of this." It's and uncomfortable. Their, it's weird. It's so bad, and then he just gives up. It's it's like 
it's like the guy on on the dance floor in the nightclub and he just knows he's got to get in the mix if he's going to have any chance to score and and or to meet or to even talk to a female and they all just ignore him it's it's so uncomfortable now there was much more um well the thing about uncom- that though uh, the thing about it that in in all this glory for Spain and for these women the one thing that i i can't i can't run from that i keep thinking about i don't know about you jj i feel I really feel awful for the 12 players from from the 15 yeah. uh, that protested. The, the three of them wound up still being admitted into the squad, but 12 didn't. And some of them are greats, truly great players in the women's game. Um, and they were not brought in. They were kept off the team. A, this kills them, I'm sure, from the perspective of I should be there. I, my, my country just won this World Cup. I could have been a part of that. And and they missed out. And th- you can only win a World Cup for the first time once. Spain have done it now. Like the, these women, they missed that opportunity to be a part of Spain's first ever Women's World Cup team. But the other problem, the other reason I feel so bad for them is that now it's, does it become, like, I can believe what I want to believe. I believe that this team probably won this title in spite of the Federation and in spite of their coach. But the Spanish Federation now will be able to hold this up and say, see, we were right. We knew what we were doing all along. I feel like this cause that these women were fighting for, I mean, it it takes a hit. Not only did they miss out on the World Cup, but now they, they have to fight against this idea that what they did was in vain. And I feel terrible for them because I don't believe that. I believe that they were just in their reasoning and the way they went about it. Um, but this is, it's like, they're, they're kind of hit from both sides here. The pain of missing a World Cup and the pain of now having the federation, the people you were fighting against feel like they won the ultimate victory. Yeah. The idea that this is vindication for right. the Spanish FA is, is very, very hard to take. And we'll, we'll talk about the figure of uh, the president Rubiales um, a little later before, before we finish our conversation. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, it's really tough. It's really, really tough for them. And, and I can't help but think about them as well. They made it a sacrifice that they clearly believed was for the betterment of players down the line. And that that will probably bear fruit at some point. But that doesn't take away from them as competitors being in the utmost pain right now. Like to watch that. That is the greatest moment you can possibly have in the game. And they've been denied it. And it's just terrible. And you're right. Your mind, it has to go out to them. It has to, it has to hurt so much to watch that. You know, like here's me making a stand for all women, all players, and even still, the Spanish uh, Federation will get to take credit because they stuck to their guns, uh, mostly. And and but it's nothing they did. It's absolutely nothing they did that that created that. Um, what we saw, what we saw uh, on Sunday, like it, it's just a shame. It was, it was the the will and the skill of those players, and it had nothing to do with Spanish FA. Um, it's just a shame they'll they they get to share in the glory. They just do, yeah, and 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 own it. It's not just shared glory, but to hear some of the quotes coming out of them. I mean, they they believe that they did this, you know, by by seeing it through. I mean, the the whole way that this was handled when when the fifteen women from the Spanish national team came forward and, and voiced their, their complaints. I mean, they were, 
they were held up as some sort of almost national embarrassment. They were told that they needed to apologize. Not only were they not listened to, but they were asked to apologize for what they were asking for. I mean, I have the list here. I don't mean to make this, this is supposed to be a positive thing about Spain. And I I feel like we've turned it into something dark and negative, but uh, Michael Emilio tweeted some of the complaints that the team had about the manager and the way they were being treated. Lack of privacy, Uh, Jorge Vilda, Prohibited players to lock their hotel room doors while on national team duty with Spain. Weird. Lack of rest uh, would rarely rotate the squad, resulting in players quickly being burnt out. Lack of medical assistance, lack of nutritionists, lack of match analysis and tactical understanding, low quality training sessions. Um, It says here off of that, as players reported to have been in a worse physical shape when returning to their respective clubs after having been on national team duty. I mean, it just sounds like at every turn, it was was just, it was so like, low key like low class organization the way they were operating and yet what was produced on sunday was like i said better than most men's teams you'll watch anywhere like it was and again i don't mean make this a i'm talking about standards like just it was scintillating at times the way they moved the ball i was like i was so impressed by it and um and and that was the other thing I, i wanted to bring up was there's a bit of self-admonishment going on here for, for I think, and self-reflection for me and you, Andrew, because we did preview the U.S. women's national team and we said if there was one thing that they held over the rest of the world, it was depth. And look, it's partially because we don't pay attention to the women's game as much as the men's and partially probably because we just, we were we looked askance at Spain because of the problems going into the tournament. Mm-hmm. But if you were to factor in the players missing, the players that came into the squad and the the general the general quality of that Spanish side, you'd have to say depth is they are the queens of depth. Oh, oh my goodness. Absolutely. And by the way, there's no end in sight to that depth. That's why I said no. this does not feel like the last. Henry Bushnell had an article up. Um, oh, did he? Oh, he sure did. I was reading, I went through the full catalog. He had a few things you I, was, and I was coming. He's fantastic. He's fantastic. But he had an article up about Spain and this road to this point. And he mentions, he says, Spain won the World Cup amid turmoil despite ramp- and despite rampant machismo. Um, it's under 17s and under 20s won their World Cups. And only one of those players has yet graduated to the senior team. This, Barcelona's former head of, uh, former head of women's football told me, is just the beginning. Uh, and like that is a scary thought that they are currently the holders of the under 17, under 20, and regular <laughs> women's World Cup titles. So like the, the pipeline, we talked about the England pipeline the other day of all this talent with these injuries. I mean, it pales in comparison to what Spain are doing right now. But what's more, we've talked about the Vilda stuff, the Federation stuff, but Henry Bush, he points out in the article, he notes the, the lack of care that the Spanish Federation had in the women's program. He says, um, as recently as 2014, it spent less than 1% of its budget on women's soccer. It reportedly paid national team players a per diem of 27 euros. 27. I mean, like, Jesus. and, And this is what has been born from that. Now, in the years since, Spain has started to pay more attention to the women's game, of course. And you see, I mean, Barcelona, I think, needs to be held up as as a mantle of of good um, in terms of the direction that the women's game is heading. I mean, they've invested a lot in that program. You see some of the the match day attendances going over 60,000, 70,000 for Barcelona's women's team. And they, in turn, are a dominant force in the sport. So I think Spain is is moving in this direction, but you just look at this 
you know, under 17s, under 20s, none of those players are really factoring in yet with the national team. They've got a back-to-back Ballon d'Or winner. She's not even healthy. They've got another player then who comes out and wins the golden ball in this tournament in Aitana Bonmati. And it's just like, I mean, what, you know, are, are we going to look back on this tournament in 12 years and be like, yeah, well, that was, we now know that that was the beginning of something ridiculous. Like, like Tom Brady in the, against the Raiders in 2001. Like we now know what that was. That was the beginning of something that we've never seen before. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but when you start seeing the direction where Spanish women's football is headed, you can't help but think that like, yeah, we, we've, we've witnessed the birth of, of a true superpower in this sport for the next generation. I agree totally with what you're saying. This might be the women's team's Fernando Torres goal in the European Championships in 2008. Uh, this may be their moment, not the end of something or the culmination of something, but the start of something. Um, yeah, the, the, I, I absolutely feel that way. Now, again, the ability of a football association to get in the way of that progress should not be underestimated. So we hope that this is a, a watershed moment for, for Spanish soccer and that they do continue to, or rather increase and increase and continuously increase the investment in women's football. It's amazing how many, like if you look at uh, even the, my own Republic of Ireland, like the horror stories that they had recently, it's only back 2018, 2019, where the players threatened strike action over over exactly pay and conditions, but mostly conditions in the way they were treated. And you look then when those conditions are improved and professionalism is brought on board and the top coach is given uh, a role with the team, then you see the team qualify for its first World Cup. Like It is amazing how a little bit of care mm-hmm. and consideration and professionalism and you see these teams rise. I've been very impressed by by what I saw from from both teams in the Iberian Peninsula in this World Cup, like Portugal were absolutely outstanding. Um, shouldn't knock the US out. And, you know, obviously at the at the business end of the tournament, Spain going, going in and beating England, who were like, they were pretty hot favourites going into this. So, yeah, um, maybe it's the start of a, a period of dominance for the Spanish game in women's football. And then there's England, who are once again left picking up the pieces of a of a terribly disappointing end to a major tournament. I mean, boy, the English fans have I mean, and I know they, they they're not going to get sympathy from you and I get that, but even you can see maybe with a smile on your face, they have really really been put through the ringer on a national team level over the last several years. I I disagree with that Andrew because um okay, sure it's disappointing to lose finals. The women did win the European Championships last summer. Uh, again, that, uh, is men, true. that is true. The, the men went to the European Championship finals and lost. That was their first final in over half a century. I know, but they lost it at Wembley. I, I, I do understand that, and it is tough to lose, but they're the, the national teams, the senior men's and senior women's team, teams are relevant in a way that the women have never been because this is their first first World Cup final. Um, the women have been grown over the last two tournaments for sure, but the men, I mean, I mean, the men hadn't been to a final since 1966. So, but these losses have just been, but I would, they've been so spectacular. I mean, and I know the women won the euros, but they lost in the semifinals of the 2019 world cup in a game where they played pretty well. 
Um, I think they're relevant, Andrew, and and that's and that's something that they haven't been before. I would say this: you would be looking at them for the next World Cup for the uh, the women's team to to go and win it. And equally, the men are at the at a point with you know some of the players that they have, including uh, Jude Bellingham, who had another great weekend, where a lot will be expected of them. And I think they can, like what Michael Owens said to me in the interview. He said, uh, "I said." Uh, you know, England now or England then, that conversation that we had. And he said, England then in terms of players, but England now in terms of an actual chance of winning a tournament. With uh, with the women for um, England and Spain, I, I this is maybe lazy analysis. I feel like we say this at the end of a lot of major tournaments, but, you know, would it surprise anyone if we got this final again four years from now? No, it wouldn't. No. Um, it, it really wouldn't. Now... I mean, Japan will have something to say about that. Oh, a bunch of countries will. The U.S. will. Um, the The U.S. will. The U.S. will. Although that oh, that I don't that, know if I like your tone. Um, stylistically, well, Andrew, I just I've just seen so much this tournament that's opened my eyes. The scales have fallen away. I am much more cynical. I am certainly not Michael Goodman about this, who thinks. Who's basically he's like, who boy, am I not worried? Yeah. I saw that tweet. Women, yeah, about the US women's talent. We discussed it on the pod before. Um I am like I wonder, are we going to need a a a, a, a DAS reboot like Germany had in two thousand for their men's program, for our women's program? Because I do think we or maybe like it could be as simple as change the manager, do something tactically different. You have got the players mm-hmm. or the players are so ingrained in playing a certain style and have a certain approach to the game that a coaching overhaul needs to happen. Now, I, I don't want to make this another podcast about the U.S. women's national team, but but those are my feelings. But yeah, I think like, to, to go back to your original question, if it is Spain and England again, you won't be shocked in a few years time. No. Um, yeah. I want to mention just just a couple of things. Again, don't I want to give Spain their flowers, but like so much, so much weird, and like genuinely, let's deal with the the genuinely um, tough stuff first. Um, like Olga Carmona, yeah. you know, scores the game's only goal. Gives Spain its first World Cup title, and after the game, she's informed that her father had died following a long illness, and that her family hadn't told her so before the game. So she'd be allowed to to go and and execute in the World Cup final. Um, unbelievable! Like just unbelievable. And now that that the the day of the the World Cup will always be the day that her father passed away as well. So it's just. The depth of emotion there is is something absolutely that I, I, I cannot even really fathom. And then um, the kind of weird and absurd um, President Rubiales kissing Jenny Hermosa on the mouth. By grabbing the should... back of her head. Like, yeah, yeah, just there's a now, forcible element to it that makes it uh, even more uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and um, wrong, quite frankly. Yeah, I. Uh, he said, I have to apologize. Um, in a video broadcast made by the Federation on Monday afternoon, reports the New York Times. Probably, I made a mistake. 
Now, um, well, he also called everyone idiots in the immediate aftermath who criticized and losers. him for it. <laughs> losers. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, but he's, he's toned it down. He's toned it down since because of the uproar. Um, well, the Spanish Hermoso, government, uh, who was it? The minister of culture and sport spoke out and said, it's wrong what he did. Yeah. And, and so I guess he f- kind of felt backed into a corner where he needed to kind of tone down the rhetoric a little. Yeah, I guess. I mean, like, don't don't there's always a man like there'll always be some man ready to make it about himself or insert himself into the narrative or do something foolish that brings shame on everyone. There's always some guy ready to do that. Um, Jenny Hermosa did say in this is the New York Times report and she seemed to have to be taken by surprise by the kiss on Sunday and expressed her distaste in a distaste in a post-match video saying, hey, but I didn't like that. Later, she appeared to downplay the episode saying it was to- it was a totally spontaneous mutual gesture because of the huge joy of winning a World Cup. So she kind of let him off, let him off the hook a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do, I do want to finish on uh, the weird stuff. It's not really the weird stuff. This is a segment we need to have, Andrew, where, where it's called politicians getting involved. Oh, um, <laughs> Rishi Sunak is the Tory Prime Minister of Great Britain. Um, And this is what he tweeted, Andrew. Now, somebody should have cleared this. But it just goes to show you that Tories, Conservatives, they don't know anything about sport. Sport is just a vehicle to try and win votes. Are you ready for this one? And he didn't even edit it or delete it and take it down. Unbelievable. (laughs) The sports phrase is... And how many times have you heard it? We left everything out there. Rishi has gone with, you left absolutely nothing out there, lionesses. Oh, no. Wait a minute. What happened? <laughs> it wasn't to be, but you've already secured your legacy as game changers. We are all incredibly proud of you. Three lions emoji. You left nothing yeah. out there. No, you left absolutely nothing out you there. You still have everything in the tank. Oh my God. Jesus Christ. They never fail. They never fail. Where's uh, Where's NP? Who was that guy? Davey? Is his fist still in the air in the, in the wake of all this? <laughs> the, head, the, liber- the head of the Liberal Democrats. What's, I, I wonder what he tweeted. Oh my God. Another, uh, what's a, 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 come here, everyone. We need a picture of generic sadness. <laughs> gather around this this flickering monitor oh no oh no he's played it safe ed davy has played it safe what an amazing tournament and an amazing team the lionesses should hold their heads high they have done so much for english football we are a very proud nation no photo attached nice well played i got no issue with that if that's what he had done the first time around would have been just fine we wouldn't have ever spoken about him. wouldn't know who he it- is in fairness, he, he did have a bit of fun with it because uh, before the game kicked off, he tweeted, so excited for kickoff, here we go, in capital letters. And it's the same picture from the <laughs> semifinal, but with a jersey, an English jersey superimposed on him, his uh, fist in exactly the same spot. You know what? Self-awareness. I, I, good for him. I respect that. He's won my vote. Yeah, no, I, I I do give him credit that that if you're gonna do that, uh, you know, if you're gonna get owned 
or ratioed on the internet, at least just just lean into it. Um, so in the end, JJ, any final takeaways from this tournament? Yes. Um, to quote uh, George Herbert Walker Bush from his State of the Union address in oh, 1991. Now you're bringing politicians into it. He did nothing. You're, this, is, <laughs> this is of your doing. Uh, there's a new world order. Um, I think there's been so much progress uh, from so many sides since 2019. Um, and I think there's a shift from North America. Like You have to recall how dominant the US were, how significant Canada were. Um, and now it's Europe plus, I'd say, Japan, Colombia, um, and, if, and emerging sites like Nigeria and South Africa. That's what I've taken from this World Cup, that there's there's a power balance. There's there's a shift, and we have to see if that will be countered in the coming years. Yeah, uh, and that that would probably be one of my biggest takeaways as well. Obviously, I, I think this tournament was a groundbreaking tournament from the perspective of new superpowers have emerged. You know, it's not just kind of the U.S., Germany, Japan, like those were always, you know, Brazil to a certain extent. Those were always the teams that went into tournaments believing that they were the favorites. Those days are over. Now, those it's not over in the sense that those teams will still be considered, you know, highly touted sides that are going to be given every chance to win and, and people will, will pick them. And But, I mean, the, the the pool has expanded in terms of who we now consider the powers to be. It's gotten bigger. There's no question about that. And by the way, that's good. That's a good thing. I mean, you were talking before about the U.S. and maybe they need to, you know, some of the ways of doing things in the past. Maybe that's over and maybe they need to change their ways and, and develop coaching in, in other ways. And I think that could be a good thing. What is it? High tide raises all ships, right? Well, yeah, tide's going up. So I, I think it could be a, a very good thing for the U.S. But the, the Andrew, scary Andrew, thing. I, th yeah. I, I think uh, I want you to tweet now. Uh, I want you to tweet that comment and go. High tide raises no ships. Okay. And I want you to copy Rishi Sunyak. <laughs> when getting cliches wrong, one tweet at a time. Um, but the thing that you just mentioned is the is the really eye-opening thing. Some of these countries that have had no investment in their women's game. Jamaica uh is the one that stands out to me from you know some of the comments that we heard in the aftermath from their coach, even Australia. I mean, I know they just had this tournament, but you heard Sam Kerr speaking after they, after their loss to England, this is the, now is the moment for the country to really invest. Uh, and you know, they've made great strides, but there's certainly so much more that can be done. Some of these countries that, that performed so well at this tournament without even having the backing at home, you know, this tournament was eye opening in, in some of the nations that emerged here, but we could remember this tournament even more so for it being a turning point, for a lot of these other countries where finally, you know, those in, in positions of power could say, you know what, like we see how this brought the country together. We see the enthusiasm that people had around this. Maybe it's, it's time, you know, we've kind of had our head in the sand. And so, you know, Jamaica to perform this well, but that without any investment at all, uh, I mean, just think of what their ceiling could be. So uh, who knows, who knows how many, how many programs, women's programs have turned for the better by what happened in this world cup in, in Australia, New Zealand. So we'll see if that's what the legacy winds up being. Uh, but it was great. This was a great tournament. Um, the the time of it, in the end, would you say, I know we were worried about it going into it, JJ. How would, how would you rate it? Was it not as bad as you thought it was going to be, as bad or worse? Um, what's the middle ground there? I would take well, not, that. I guess not. It was, it was, it what was. What you expected? 
It was annoying, I have to say. <laughs> that Portugal one was tough. I'm not going to lie. Oh, jeez, was that ever. Um, and I was wrecked. And, you know, when when you have an, an, a 12-week-old child, it's it's an added wrinkle. Although, like, there were some games in the morning when I'd be up for the morning feed with her, and it, it was nice just to, you know, she'd sit there with a the bottle in her mouth and daddy would watch the football. So it, it was annoying, but I guess we navigated it okay, or we tried to. There was I did miss an awful lot of games that I'm just like, nope, can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah. Uh, we're we're the real heroes. I've always said that about us. Of course we are. Yeah. Like, well, there's always a man ready to insert himself into it, and we are those men. Congrats to Spain, and congrats to us for all of our efforts. Yes, uh, us <laughs> and Rubiales, we're just we're just high fiving. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead. We'll take a quick break we'll, as we put this tournament to bed, and then we'll uh, we'll come back on the other side. We'll do some Premier League. There's certainly a lot to get to there. We'll do some Leagues Cup. Lord knows, a lot to get to there. Still, a lot to get to in general here on Caught Offside. So don't go anywhere. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh, back now on Caught Offside on a late Monday evening here in uh, in the Northeast. Um, just want to say, uh, I hope everyone in California, in Southern California, is is doing okay. It's been a boy. It's been a rough rough couple of days there uh, with a, a tropical storm or a hurricane. I guess it was a tropical storm when it hit, but something that hasn't happened in like eighty plus years. Then they also had a five point one earthquake mixed in among this i mean god almighty I, like, I know we've got a lot of listeners out there so um our thoughts are with them and and, and reach out uh at co soccer pod caught offside pod at gmail.com and uh caught offside pod on on instagram let us know you're okay yeah um let's see lots of uh lots of premier league jj where where do you want to begin you want to you want to steer the ship here hey allow me to just quickly uh mention one nil to the Arsenal, uh, Arsenal Crystal Palace or Crystal Palace Arsenal rather. It was at Sellers Park, um, ten man Arsenal grinding it out after two pretty harsh yellows, I'd say for Tommy Yasu. I mean that second one. That's I I, uh, I guess I see why they called it because you see that so often and we all just instinctively view that to be a yellow. But when you watch the replay, he didn't really do anything. No, he didn't. I, I, I really didn't love how he got absolutely. He got absolutely mugged on the throw in for the first yellow as well. I know you're enforcing things, but I think it was Kai Havertz or whoever had the ball before him that dallied 
way longer than he did. And then he had the ball for like, what, seven or eight seconds. And the referee's just, I've had enough. You're going to get the yellow. Uh-huh. Like it, it didn't seem fair. Um, that was a collective dallying between two Arsenal players. So like, I don't know what you do. Do you book both of them? So like I feel I felt I felt bad for him, um, but like the the rejoicing at full time, like there was a general. And I know I know they're very demonstrative the Arsenal bench, but there was a general sense of, oh, we love this, like we've ground out a win. We absolutely love this. Declan Rice was a bullion at full time. Um, it seemed like it seemed like three points from March or April rather than three points in uh, in in. Mid to late August. Uh, oh, the celebration police! I see. No, 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 full no, no. force. No, no, no. I just thought it was interesting. Just thought it was interesting. Um, and and, and that's not that's not a, that's not a shot at anyone. That's just, you know, Arsenal. Arsenal of old, certainly not recent Arsenal, but Arsenal of old. Like I said, one 0 to the Arsenal. They had a they had a song about them where they grind out results, and this was this was something of 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 the past. Um, uh, Ibarichese penalty shout turned down was one of the nicest pieces of skill I've seen in a long time. Now I actually he's ridiculous. I love I that guy. I was okay with it not being a penalty, um, but uh, he absolutely rinsed Declan Rice, like and just turned him, um, sent him the wrong way. He kind of cut, dragged it, and then cut back the other way. And then I think it was, was it Thomas Party or whoever, I don't know, dangled a leg. I didn't think it was enough for a penalty. I was okay with it not be, being given. Um, Palace showed flashes that they're still, they're still a side to be reckoned with. Um, but it's a good win for Arsenal, good three points. That's where I'd start, Andrew. And then I'd... Uh, then I'd move to another team in North London. I'm oh. not telling you what to do, but that's oh. where I go. Well, then let's go there. Let's follow that path uh, to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, where uh, 2-0 to Spurs over Manchester United. I mean, you, you and I were texting a little bit during this game, and I should tell you, I guess, before getting into it, that my, my tune has maybe changed a little bit uh, from then to now. Oh, in, in how I view the game, not from the Spurs perspective. We'll start with the Tottenham side. Um, and, you know, one thing about it, like you can it does feel like all, all the elements of like a new era. You do feel it in, in, a, in a in a good way uh, right now with, you know, the manager switch where they it feels like all that toxicity is well behind them. And they've just brought in a guy who everyone is behind. I mean, Tottenham as a fan base has not been connected like this with each other in since probably pre Mourinho, even the end of Poch was a little bit rocky with, you know, some people that were okay with his firing other people that thought it was ridiculous. I mean, it's been a while since the fan base has kind of been all, all in, in, in lockstep with one another. Um, and I even think as much as it hurt to have Kane go, um, you know, I do think that there is some kind of like, okay, we're at least that's it. Maybe we would like to have him here, but at least it's behind us now. Like, it's not like this thing that like you're just stressing out about it every day for the last couple of years. Is he going to go? What does he think of this manager? Does he approve? Will he will he want to stay and be a part? Of, it was just part of like the daily stress of being a Tottenham fan over the last couple of seasons was just like wondering whether or not they keep him. And like, I guess it's kind of like the anticipation leading up to a major surgery where you're just like, oh, you're nervous and you're thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about no. it. And then finally the surgery happens and you've come through it. And like, 
you're like, oh, well, thank God that's behind me. And now I can start recuperating and, and being good again and healthy and whole again. Like, I feel like that's that's kind of what this cane move out of the club was. It's like a surgical procedure. And like, now it's a new Tottenham that you're kind of looking at here. And I mean, look, there things are going to happen along the way. The season is not going to be all rosy. Um, maybe this is part of a, a, a new manager bounce or some kind of new enthusiasm around this manager. Who knows? I mean, they'll, they'll hit a lull, but boy, right now it's fun. Like I, they've just, they're just fun to watch. It's just a totally, the style that they, they had abandoned um, it's back. And you know, this, this like quick counter pressing, high pressing style, like moving er- the whole midfield, everyone come forward, everybody come on up fullbacks, get in the midfield. I mean, it's just like, there, there's yeah. a clip circulating online that Tottenham, the, the official Twitter account, not some fan who like, you know, fans grab clips from like YouTube and post this, Hey, look what destiny Udagi did here. The actual sure. team posted on Twitter and it said, look where the left back is. That was the tweet, and then it's a video of Udagi playing like central midfield, cutting through the Manchester United defense. Like you weren't seeing that stuff before. I mean, it's just like it. I texted you, and and I really believe it e- even more so now. Kind of rewatching highlights and and really watching Eves Basuma, James Madison. The shackles are off. You know everything that you had with Mourinho and Conte. It was so pragmatic, and maybe that does win trophies, but didn't hear. Didn't at this club. So that that style has no cachet with Tottenham fans right now. And the shackles are just off. These guys are being allowed to play with creativity. I mean, just watch Basuma, the the moves he's making, the passes, um, the way he pushes play forward. It's it's like I said, they're going to lose games. I still don't think it's a top four side, but boy, it's it's enjoyable to sit down and watch them right now. It's nice. It, It absolutely is. Um, I was talking to some Celtic supporters at the weekend after Celtic lost 1-0 to Kilmarnock in a pretty poor performance in the early days of the second term of Brendan Rodgers. And I asked, what's the difference between Brendan Rodgers and Angeball? Like, has he got rid of Angeball? And he said, yeah, lots of sideways passing, lots of keeping the ball, making sure you keep the ball. The ball. And I said, okay, well, what was Angeball? And he said, with Ange, he didn't care if they lost the ball. They'd try to advance it. And if they lost it, they would counter press. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I thought it was so interesting to listen to Hyun Min San, who has been toiling in the, in the footballing minds of, <laughs> of um, Conte and of Mourinho for the last few years. And it, it's very interesting to hear what he had to say about Ange Ball. He's talking to Dave Jones here. Um, about the new manager. Take a listen. You've been here a long time. Certainly in the last few years, you seem to have played one style of football, which has been predominantly counter-attacking. So tell us about this manager and what he wants to bring to Spurs now. No, obviously, I think you could see the, the last two games. Obviously, it's very early, early, early of the season, but I think he want to play their half-pitch. We want to have a ball. We want to create chances and we want to play attacking football. If we lose the ball, we want to go counter-pressing, which is... Which is we did today. I think, I think this is really, really fun, even to playing. But I mean, watching this game, I think it's more, more enjoyable for the for the Spurs fans. So, I think, so it's more fun for the players. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I don't know for defenders, but <laughs> for me, attacking players, I think because we are playing very high and pressing high, which is make uh, us uh, easy jobs than running seventy meters behind. So. That is so interesting because you know. 
for Sun to be so emphatic about how much more fun this is, yeah, um, I, I believe him. I mean, you watch yes. him play, like I believe it, but like he won a golden boot <laughs> under that other style. Like he did experience the greatest success of his professional career playing that other way. So to hear him, somebody who experienced but you that heard what he said. success it, to be this happy about playing this other way, he must really be loving this. Yeah. And it's interesting. He said, it's nice not to have to look up the field and <laughs> right? see like 70 yards. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of was your sentiment uh, last week. You were like, all right, it was a 2-2 draw at Brentford. You know, we're not going to get bowled over by that. But but you just said at least, you know, they're trying to take the, the, the battle and the fight to the opposition. And not when they win the ball, look up the field and think just green, green grass, miles and miles of green, green grass. It's, it's got to be nice. Um, yeah. I, I would I would say, like Spurs could have been 2-0 down uh, in, in, in the opening 15 minutes to a half hour. And you could see the teething problems with like, with what Ange wants them to do. You know, there's a couple of times they played out, tried to play out from the back and like United pressed decent enough to, to create turnovers or there was technical breakdowns for Spurs players. And the next thing you're like, Oh, 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 it's a matter of time before United score. Now United didn't score. That's the whole point. Yeah. And I thought Spurs, sec- I thought Spurs second half was outstanding, but, it sh- I, I I think the growing pains are still going to be there for Spurs. Like I see, dare I say it, and please don't jump on my back, Man oh. United fans, but I see um, more efficient attacks or better attacks than United, you know, really capitalizing on that. And Spurs are going to concede goals and they'll get pumped. There will be some games where they will get pumped, but there will be a clear attacking plan. There will be... um. You know, it, it won't be because they're sitting in and suddenly a team runs up three goals from the 75th minute as Spurs are defending their own 18 yard. It's not going to be that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I hope and I Spurs, Spurs supporters fan- are, are patient and, and understanding of that, that this, that this, I think they will early, be, that this early start that's been fun and positive, that it, it doesn't kind of suck everyone into kind of this like false sense of, oh, this is. We're actually good now. Okay, like top four. Here we go. Like I still think that, like you said, there's growing pains to be had. I, I truly believe that. But like some people are kind of moving this along pretty quickly. People who I respect. I mean, Gab Marcotti wrote this at ESPN FC. Uh, he said, for Spurs, Pustacoglu just arrived and is integrating four new starters plus an entirely different style of play. Ten Hag is dealing with the same guys as last year plus Mount, and he's in his second season. It's not a good sign that Spurs looked further along than United did on Saturday. That 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 was that was the jarring thing for me. Um, so so Roy Keane spoke so strongly and so forthrightly. <laughs> Interestingly, for a man who just collaborated with Manchester United and Adidas, he he was not he was not uh, beholden to anyone in his comments. Now the comments that uh, NBC it was it was weird. They had Tim Howard there, ex Man United. They had Rob. Um, they had um, Robbie Musto there and. They, they, they. It was almost like breaking news, and they, they played the Sky audio of what Keane said. He said, "You know, United are the new Spurs now," which was a kind of a devastating line if you're a Man United fan, considering they're really taking a shot at both teams. Well, no, 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 no not really. It, it, place it within the context of Roy Keane's career. Roy Keane's the man that coined the the phrase "lads at Spurs." He used to say, "Sometimes Ferguson will give us, you know." give us a big team talk 
but mostly when it was a team like Tottenham, he he'd just go, lads, it's Spurs and and get on with the game. Now, what Keane is basically saying is that applies to Manchester United. And 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 like that is if you're a United fan that's grown up on 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 that kind of attitude from Alex Ferguson, this is a very tough pill to swallow. But but those comments weren't the interesting ones for me. So thankfully, some great person on the internet posted the full post match. So it wasn't just that one minute thirty soundbite. Here's Roy Keane talking about the the other problems he sees in the Manchester United team and specifically the midfield and the attack. Yeah, midfield, they just look lightweight. Decision-making and the attacking trick. When you look at the six players high up the pitch, again, when you're out of possession, they're giving you absolutely nothing. You can always carry one or two maybe in your team that don't give you much, but obviously can be match winners. But United are carrying too many players when they're not really at it. And when these players from the team are saying, OK, I'll forgive you if you're not doing the defensive stuff, but you better be really good when you're getting on it. And they're not doing that. And they look like, even, the, even I look at Mount... Fernandez, when they're out of position, they look like schoolboys in there. They haven't got that physicality to get the ball back. We make excuses all the time for them. We're told Den Hag is a brilliant coach, but we need to see it. They look flat here tonight. I'd like to know what they're doing on the training pitch. Are they overtraining? They don't look full of energy. The second half, every time I watch United, particularly towards the end of the game, they obviously they've got a goal in them. I didn't feel that today. I just felt when it was one or two nil, I went, it's game over. And I generally never feel like that with this Man United team. Now there's two things I would say about about that 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 interests me. He's right about um about the midfield. It does look like it's easily overran. It's it it looks it looks lightweight. It looks it doesn't look very good. Um, Casemiro, ooh, um, Casemiro kind of looks a little bit like what you'd fear he'd look like when Real Madrid let him go. That the best days are definitely behind him. Um, that's a massive concern now. Um and the attack. Andrew, you've asked the question so many times in this podcast. I know we're only two games in. I know there's people out there that do rate him quite highly from a technical standpoint. I don't know what Mason Mount does. I wonder if he's dealing with some crisis of confidence that the because because there was a time at Chelsea where I really do think he was he was excellent. And I really thought highly of the direction his career was going to go. And and something has happened here with this guy where he is now, he's just not he's not an effective player to me right now when I watch him. Now, I thought at times, like I said, I can't deny that in the first half, I thought United are just, once the United get one, they'll get two, they'll get three here. They're, they're going to cut Spurs open. And like there there was some good creative play from Bruno, that Rabona pass to, to uh, Greenwood was excellent. No, Rashford, um, easy. Sorry, oh, excuse me. I'm jumping ahead of myself to, to Rashford. Oh my um, goodness. Yes. How spectacular for me. Almost as spectacular as that goal would have been, which was, it was just brilliant. Would have been was, offside though. It would have been. It, it would have been. Have counted. I mean, there, there were better chances than that and there were plenty of them. So there is that argument that if United get that, then, you know, hey, what's the worry about? They would have won the game early on, et cetera. But, um, but there, that's what I wanted to, that's what I wanted to, to talk to you about. Cause like okay. when, we were, when we were texting afterwards, we were both kind of like, and look, there's still certain elements of our conversation that I, I still feel like the second half in particular, Jaden Sancho, like how long are we going to wait for this guy? Like he oh, comes Lord. on and just adds now, nothing, when, you know, Rashford playing that, that, that kind of up top central role. It's just like, doesn't look like it feels like they're kind of neutralizing some of his greatest strengths when he's out on the wing. Um, we talked about Mason Mount. You talked about Casemiro, like Lissandro Martinez. Like there, there's a lot there with United that was that I still feel today that was really disappointing. However, I do feel 
in the aftermath, I've gone back and rewatched the highlights of that game a couple times. And I know highlights, of course can you be, did. I know highlights can be, yeah, I, they, they can be deceiving. There's no question about that, but I will say both times my takeaway was a little bit more of like Tottenham for all this, like glorifying the performance and all that Tottenham were actually a little bit more fortunate than I feel like we're all kind of making it out to be in the initially when that game ended. I mean, Tottenham, like we're, we're going to sit here and in this free flowing attack and they're just getting guys forward. I mean, but United, how, how dour they were just like nothing there. No, no cutting edge. I mean, they had the higher XG than this free flowing attacking side. Again, I know it's a deceiving, deceiving statistic goals are what matter, but like if if Manchester United weren't generating any opportunities, and I I would agree, I'd say yeah, it looked kind of like their Wolves match. But this this wasn't like that. They they should have scored some goals here. I mean, God, mm. how Bruno Fernandez didn't score on a free header from five yards out? Like, yep, it's terrible. I mean, that is that going to happen again? I, if he, if he's in that position again, I bet on him to score. You know, and I know it may not have come from like great free flowing attack, but like. Let's be honest here. United probably should have had a penalty. Now, I know some United fans are, are losing their minds about that, saying it's a different game. I mean, look, if it's given, yeah, it is. But, like, haven't we all gotten to this place now where we just know that handballs are, are 50-50? Like, we just don't – no one knows what is or isn't. And, like, yeah, I thought it was. But both commentators, Dermot Gallagher and Dale Johnson, none of them did. So, like – United fans can scream and shout and yell all they want that it's one of the worst. A buddy of mine on, on our fantasy Premier League uh, thread says it's one of the worst calls he's ever seen. Huh. But can that be the case when like both both announcers and the two most high profile referee analysts said it wasn't? I mean, like I get it. I thought it was. I can't believe it wasn't given. But like people got to relax and and when they're starting talking about these things, deciding deciding games we don't know what's going to be given and what's not you can't let that just completely derail your game and your afternoon uh when you when it doesn't go your way but i but i, I thought I just, united generated so much i mean vicario for spurs their new goalkeeper he was making saves all afternoon he yeah i yeah i and anthony hit the post yeah in, that is early true in the second half that is true but there is also I, to address the second thing that King said about we hear that Ten Hag's a great coach, we need to start seeing it. Like I, I still don't feel they're they're that more. I thought I saw progress. I think I probably gassed up the League Cup win too much, especially considering what happened the following um, Saturday at Anfield or Sunday, whenever the seven nil was. Um, but I, I just wonder, like, and I'm not saying he's not the right man for the job. I'm not. I'm not Whoa. I'm not saying that. I'm wondering, like, I just thought there'd be, I just thought they'd be further along. You know, they made a worse start to last season. No, you, you had the, you had him fired at this point last year. No, I acknowledged Andrew. What I did was I acknowledged the pressure of being Manchester United manager, which he's certainly going to feel after this weekend. Um, I, I just expect them to be further along. I just expect them to have more control games like that. And, 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 on the goal-scoring side, I expect them to put a team like Tottenham, which is in its embryonic stages of, of development under Ange Postacoglu, when they offer up the chances they did, that you put them to the sword, that you def- that you put the ball in the net, and they never did that. Um, so who, so yeah, who would you rather be right now, Tottenham or United? Tottenham. Tottenham. Because I just I just think they're at the... Like if they've made this amount of progress 
And there's that amount of buy-in from the players for the manager already. That is significant to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is certainly And that true. doesn't mean they, and that, and like you said, that doesn't mean they're going to be in top four. Doesn't mean they're going to be top five. Doesn't mean that they're not going to get pumped a few times. I think they're going to take their, they're going to take some bricks to the face um, as, as things go along. I just, I just expect more from Manchester United at this point after Ten Hag has had a full season with this team and after we made so much about the fact that they got a they got a trophy under their belt last season, which and I was one of those people that did. I thought the start of the season would be more emphatic. It will be a more clearer picture of who they are. And I'm still a little bit this is this is still working working through and um and they should be further along. And I and I think they're they're short players too. And I would agree with Keane's assessment in the other audio that he said, you know, you're bringing on these guys. He talked about player substitutions he was making, Martial, etc. And he said, you might as well be bringing on um, Frank Stapleton and um, I can't remember, <laughs> Norman Whiteside, like two guys from the 80s. Yeah, I think there's still major surgery need on this United, needed on this United team. And I, I don't understand why it's not being done. Um, now, before we leave this, we should mention your Freudian slip uh, yes. and Mason Greenwood as there was resolution to this. And I would say for a lot of people, it was not what was expected um, as if uh, if Mason Greenwood's footballing career is to continue, it will not continue at Manchester United. They have decided to part ways. Um, and Greenwood, JJ, for me, he released a statement. Um, after this announcement, and there's a part of it that I I wanted to pluck I out. I didn't see the statement. Help me okay. out. Okay, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read the first two paragraphs of it because the this is the part that stood out to me uh, more than any. Uh, he he says, I want to start by saying I understand that people will judge me because of what they have seen and heard on social media, and I know people will think the worst. I was brought up to know that violence or abuse in any relationship is wrong. I did not do the things I was accused of. And in February, I was cleared of all charges. He he continues, but that's the part I wanted to kind of focus on. Um, He acknowledges the things on social media, and he says he did not do the things he was accused of. Now, I would say he's under... He's under no obligation to elaborate. Like, he, he doesn't have to. He's not on the stand. He's, you know, it's, he doesn't he has doesn't have to. But just know that if, that if you don't, people will continue to believe what they have heard and seen as opposed to just a generic denial in your statement. And like, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's arrogant, arrogant enough to think that him just saying it is enough to sway people. But I don't know, speaking for myself, like without an explanation, I'm going to trust my gut. And I imagine most others will be the same. Like what I saw and heard is more powerful to me than him saying, I did not do these things. So doesn't, I know he was cleared of charges. Um, I know he's allowed to continue his career again, but I kind of, I, I, I believe what I believe. And I think a lot of people are probably, probably of the same vein. And I don't know, I don't know the club that takes a chance here on him. Someone probably will, but I, I don't know. I don't know the situation of, of who would feel so compelled to do it. I um, I think that we're talking about statements. So there was the United statement, and then there was a statement from the CEO, Richard Ar- Arnold. Um, he, he again kind of 
spoke to what you did there. He said, um, he said, while we were unable to access certain evidence for reasons we respect, the evidence we did collate led us to conclude that Mason did not commit the acts he was charged with. I am restricted as to what I can say for legal reasons, including the alleged victim's ongoing right to anonymity, but I am able to share the following with you, which should give you some insight into the complexity of this case. The alleged victim requested the police to drop their investigation in April 2022. We were provided with alternate explanations for the audio recording, which was a short ex excerpt from a much longer recording and for the images posted online. The alleged victim's family participated in the process and we were given the opportunity to review and correct our factual findings. Um, so again, again, then, this is then like... Why are, exactly, this is the why problem. Why are they though. releasing him? Well, exactly that. Um Unless it's just simply them, maybe it's, they're doing so against their will and they're they're bowing to public pressure. I I um, feel what's happened is they've they they were planning to reintroduce him. He uh, Richard Arnold goes on to say that they, were, they had multiple um, elements and multiple uh, out several out outcomes had been contemplated and planned for. I feel what's happened here is they were going to reintegrate reintegrate him. Adam Crafton found out from members of staff at Manchester United, did his due diligence on it, did his re his research, did his journalism. United realized that their plan had been exposed. They put out that statement last week, which was a kite flying exercise to see how the public would respond. Yeah, the public responded, and MPs and other, um, to use that awful term, stakeholders responded not well. And United decided that it would be much more hassle to reintroduce him than to move him on. Um, because that's the tone of everything they've released. Hey, there's stuff you don't know about, but we realize it's too difficult um, to reintroduce Mason Greenwood to Manchester United. And that's why they've performed this U-turn. That, that's, that's what I feel. Um, and and I, I, I don't know. Again, I spoke lar about larger issues in society, like what, what, like when someone hasn't been um, found guilty through the courts, but we know we have, like this is such an, a weird case because we do have this evidence, even though United call it partial evidence, we do have this evidence. We heard those tapes. We, we saw um, those pictures. And so fact that the courts have not been able to um pursue a case doesn't change what we saw or what we know so how how do we what do we do with this now like, right if, if they're going to refuse to explain the evidence then i can only go off of what i know it's what i said last week so i i, I can't give him the benefit of the doubt if, if none of this is explained so it's, surely Surely any club now that um, wants to proceed with signing Mason Greenwood will have to. Um, Mason Greenwood will have to tell them everything. Yes. And tell them the stuff we're not knowing. Because if he doesn't, then there is a moral problem for them, for that club taking him on. Yeah. Um, I think he will play again. I think he'll play for someone again. Um, I think the fact that even Manchester United, let's just say Give them the let's give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and say by framing it this way, considered having him back. The fact that they did this, 
may be enough for other clubs who are not as big, not as high profile to green light him playing for them. Yeah. What I can't I can't see him in England. No, me neither. I don't know. I don't know where the landing spot would be. Because if but, uh, it probably like will do be somewhere. Yeah, we do acknowledge his talent as a footballer. Sure. Therefore, like he 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 can't play for one of the the top ten. I I just can't see him playing in England now. And so where does he go? Um, don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, a couple others want to mention West Ham uh, down a man for thirty minutes and still take down Chelsea three one. Pretty impressive. Yeah. From it, uh, it was from impressive. Harris. Um, it it was uh impressive unity. Uh, of purpose from from West Ham United, and again David Moyes comes out of one of these games looking, looking very good. Um, I I would say that we are now seeing that <laughs> Pochettino. My belief is still that Poch will 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 make something of this group, but we are seeing that we are seeing that Todd Bowley buying all these players. Um, some would say in a haphazard fashion, uh, a lot of pain. People saying lavishly, spending almost a billion dollars since he uh, joined the club, um, bought the club. Uh, you just can't, you can't do it. it. It's it's a tough one for Poch because how many of those signings did he has Pochettino made, Andrew? Very few. Hard to say. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I mean, most of them are, are holdovers from the from uh, Bowley last season. So, and you see things like like. Players who have, who look sure and complete of completely of confidence. Like, if if you were just to do a highlight reel of of uh, Michaelo Mudrick, hmm. would anybody else want to buy him, based on his Chelsea time? No, like, no, just that volley. He, I don't know what he was trying to do um, towards the end of the game. And I'm not saying he's not a good player. Me and you, we liked him before we came to the club, but. He just seems to be struggling so badly. Um, yeah, maybe Potts is a bigger job on that I than I than I had anticipated, and uh, and when Chelsea seem to be reaping the, the the problems that come with allowing Todd Bowley to be your director of football for as long as he was and to spend in the way that he has um, without any real rhyme or reason. You've got this kind of Frankenstein's monster of bits and pieces still remaining. I mean, the club the club has done a good job in in terms of getting out like two hundred million worth of talent, but oh man, I mean, I, I maybe maybe it is maybe it's I'm not saying it's PSG part two for for Pochettino, but I because I, I guess that the the weight of star isn't that Chelsea right now. There's a lot of money spent, but the there is no Neymar or Messi, um, Mbappe, so he doesn't have to deal with those egos. But he still has to deal with a patchwork quilt of of players put together that he didn't sign. Yeah, not not an easy assignment. Um, let's see, Manchester City and Newcastle, one of the the marquee matchups of the weekend. And Man City, they navigate their way past uh, Newcastle. Um, you know, watching this game. I would imagine most people would have the same takeaway from this. Phil Foden, Phil Foden. He was just, he was so good. And I know that there's all this concern and rightfully so about how our city going to cope in a De Bruyne less world for at least until sometime, you know, next year, 
not next season, but literally next calendar year after January. Um, so Phil Foden has now been kind of thrust into this creative role, this number 10 role. Um, and this is a guy who has been, he's, I give him credit, a young player like him, he's been put in every position imaginable uh, with the exception of defending, you know, he's been put out on both wings. He's been put as a false nine, as a striker. Now he's a number 10. I mean, they've moved him all over the place and he, you never really hear him complain. He's last season must've been really hard for him. He's coming off the bench most of the season when he knows how great he is. Um, but you don't hear him complain very much. And when he comes in, he does a job everywhere, but I think they, I mean, I think they have found maybe the the ideal spot for him and Richard Jolly of the independent uh he wrote about it and how Foden obviously hasn't really been able to have this opportunity because De Bruyne has been ahead of him but he writes displacing De Bruyne would have had its difficulties and the self-effacing Foden accepted the older man's superiority but a snap of De Bruyne's hamstring and a worse than expected diagnosis opened up an opportunity after the most frustrating season of Foden's first team career there's a path for this to be the one where he finally fulfills his destiny i mean to watch him play you know the De Bruyne injury is a problem but we always talk about this. An injury is only as big of a problem as the player who's replacing him. Like De, losing De Bruyne sucks. He's he's one of the greatest players in the history of the league, but the guy replacing him is also great. So like I, I don't I I still stand by what I said two weeks ago when the injury happened. I I think they're going to be okay from this perspective. Yeah, I think so. That performance is very very encouraging. Um... I mean, like you think about Foden, like Foden has been just like on the brink of 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 kind of bursting forth into the city side, but he's been he's never been guaranteed his place. And this is a huge opportunity for him. Um and so far he looks the part. And City looked quite a bit better than Newcastle at the weekend. I know it was only one nil. Um but if you're if you're a City fan that was going into that game, I need reassurance that things are going to be okay without KDB. I think that's as good as you're going to get at this point in the season to suggest they will be okay. Yeah. Now, the only thing that I do come away from this a little bit concerned about, and it's not necessarily anything having to do with this game in particular, but I was just kind of looking at, at City's squad um, in the wake of the De Bruyne injury. And, you know, it's a weird thing to say about Man City, but JJ, do they no longer have a big squad. Like I know all the pods we used to do where we would sit here and talk about, Oh my God, look at their bench. Jeez. You could create another champions league winning team on that bench. You know, we would marvel at it. Um, but like they, they're coming off a trouble winning year. They've got probably quadruple winning expectations this year. They need a big squad. They need a lot of bodies. They don't, I mean, they don't look at, if you look at the squad, they don't have them. Like, a lot of key players well, have left. Gundogan, Mares, Laporte, Cancelo. You know, yeah, they brought in Gvardiol and Kovacic, but like, is that enough? Now De Bruyne is hurt until at least January. I mean, if you go and look at their squad depth, it's it's not what it was two years ago, last year even. I mean, there's time for them. This window's not closed yet. And, and my guess is that something is going to happen. But I know they were linked to Pakita, but the, the gambling allegations seem to have scared them off of him. So, you know, we'll see what they do, but... You know, if they want to repeat their treble or a double or a quadruple, I don't know what they want to do, but they want to win everything. It's not a big squad, Relative, no, relatively I, speaking, for for a I team mean, of it, their caliber. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It depends. Like we've seen Cole Palmer being, you know, kind of given his taste in the European Super Cup. Finally, did very well. We know what they think highly of Rico Lewis. Um, I mean, you still got Nathan Ake there on the bench at the weekend. Uh, Calvin Phillips. 
Sure. Look, they're still great. They're everyone's picked to win the I mean, league. But yeah. like I'm just saying, like, I mean, look, before it was a bench that sometimes featured Gundawan and Mares and Aguero and like Cole Palm. Now you're saying Cole Palmer and Rico Lewis. Like those guys might wind up being like good, it seemed- but it's but it's come on, like it's not what it. We'll see, but it used to be a sure thing. Right now, it's these are youth team players. Like that's not, you know, it, that's not really the the Man City that we've known from previous seasons. I, I will I will grant you it does seem it does seem a lot thinner than it has in previous years. Um, but again, I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about something that I was listening to today. It was a discussion around Neymar. And it was on second captains. Gavin Cooney, who's been on this podcast too, was talking about Neymar and how he was maybe one of the last of the virtuosos, one of the last of the talented players. And they were referencing a coach who said, there's no longer any bad players. Like coaching academies has done so much. There's no longer, like, at the elite level, bad players. What a but take. There's no bri- but there's no brilliant ones either. I, I I, kind of agree with it. And in that sense, this is where a coach like Guardiola is brilliant, in that he will be able to plug in and, and you know, almost be- build Belichick in with, like, Chris Hogan and guys like that. Yeah. Like, the, you're you're able to plug them in, and they can, they can perform because the system and the way they're coached and trained – takes over. So they just like they're coaching, their basic skills are all there um, from coming through the academy. And then you're able to mold them into what you want to do within a very, very specific framework. And Guardiola has that very specific framework. Don't think there is a single player on that bench that doesn't know what they should be doing when they come onto the field. There just isn't. It's very, very clear and it's very, very regimented. So in that sense, maybe we'll see the triumph of the system over the lack of the star power on the bench for Man City. We'll see. Uh, Liverpool defeat Bournemouth 3-1. A little bit of a ref, referee watch here. Seemed like some controversial well, Let me get straight decisions. to it, Andrew. Let me get straight to it. Um, I'll, I'll save you the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Sabishlai penalty. By the way, Sabishlai looks the pick of the bunch. Yeah, he, looks he looks fantastic. Yeah. So good. Um, so, so good. So, so good. I, I, I also imagine him uh, outside, he has the look of a man or, or or a younger man who would have spent time outside of hanging outside the Wawa, wearing a a little peep hoodie uh, with a tattoo on his neck, driving a Celica and trying to get your sister's number. Uh, what, um, what do you what do you know someone like this is so oddly specific? Is this like based like on a... some like personal experience? No, just the way he looks uh, and his haircut. <laughs> Um, but uh, the savage like penalty, I'm not giving a penalty for that. Oh, um, really? I was no. actually okay with that. No, not a penalty for me, and not a not a sending off, uh, not a straight red for Alexis McAllister. It was a, a yeah. yellow. Um, I, I agree with that too. Everything that's uh, yeah, everything that studs up in uh, you know you have to you have to be able to assess nuance. And um, which, by the way, the Premier League usually they, they usually do in the Premier League. Like I yeah, saw statistics I thought... of like those kinds of reds in the Premier League versus other European leagues, and the the straight reds are way down in England compared to the other leagues. Um, and I would I would say the other takeaway from this game, apart from the fact Liverpool were dreadful in the first half, much better in the second half, um, the the brilliant brilliant goal, um, 
I mean, it's just one of those. Uh, it's it's Luis Diaz the way he, the way the ball flicks up, he flicks it up, pops it up, and, and finishes. That is that's already a contender for goal of the season. It's the technique is just. I'm not saying it is goal of the season. It's, I said it's contender. The technique is just so good, so so good. Um, I really enjoyed that goal, and um, relieved with the with the three one. One other thing from this game. So Jurgen Klopp hates his song. Yeah, so this guy thing, always something. Thing that, the thing that was going out on the internet was him, and you can clearly hear him shouting, um, "Stop singing that." Sh- um, S, just to save you editing, Andrew. Thank you. Um, and I have to say, I kind of agree with him. Now, his reasoning was la- was was that, look, the game's not over. Sing that in the pub, sing that wherever you want, but don't sing the Klopp song when the game's not over, the game's still in the balance. But I actually think he just doesn't like it like I don't. So in Paris last year, this was the song everyone would break into when we were drinking in bars and when we were um, even in the stadium. And I just don't love it. And the song goes, um, you know, Jürgen said to me, you know, we win the Premier League. You know, he said so. I'm in love with him and I feel fine. I'm so glad Jürgen is red. I'm so glad he delivered what he said. Ba 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 ba. Um, I don't. I just don't like it. It gave me... It, just give me an uncomfortable feeling singing it. I don't know if it's the, you know, it's uh, obviously a play on a Beatles song. Just didn't like it. But it's it's so weird to me how annoyed Klopp got. Like shouting at the cop for them to stop singing that S. I felt a bit bit over the top. Well, that's him. That's him. <laughs> um, Did you like my what, singing? Yeah, that was nice. You got a, you got a solid voice there. You, you nice voice. Uh, one other thing that came out of this, we've mentioned this before, but I just got to ask you, is there anything crueler in sports that you can think of than saving a penalty, but then just having the rebound like tucked in Thanks. right after? Oh, it stinks. I think the, the only crueler way is that the penalty hits the butt of the post and then the back of your head and then in. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah, that would be that, crueler. That's worse. But it's just like, they're so hard to save. Like when you do it, it's just oh, it's so cruel that... The way that you can still be punished for it afterwards. Not saying they should change the rules. All right, relax, everyone. I'm not saying that they should blow the whistle and they restart after a save penalty. I'm not saying that. Just saying it's cruel. That's all. Um, finally, I, I don't have much on this other than Aston Villa, just an absolute hammering of poor old Everton. Oh, um, God, Andrew. Oh, yeah. so much going on in this one. Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I don't think it's going to be a long-term injury, but he had to come off. Got abused by some Everton supporters, apparently, according to his father uh, on social media. He tried to play through it. Um, get the guy. I mean, he's not trying yeah. to get hurt. Like, no, no. And his dad claimed as well that this was the first time he was like completely fully fit in like a few years. Um, like he's like the first time he started a game fully fit in a while, which if which in a few years, which is if that's the case, wow. I mean. Um, and then Alex Awobi's hamstring goes, and then the, like some of the goals, like the throw in from Ashley Young, like what are you doing for the uh, Duran goal? Just and it was so funny. The Duran goal was so bad because I think it was Andy Townsend on commentary, and um, whoever his uh, the main commentator was going, Andy, is there anything positive Sean Dyche can take from this game? 
And Andy Towns is about to go, well, the scoreline, at least it's only threat. Just as Duran races in on goal and slots home. And Townsend goes, well, I was going to say, it's uh, it was good that they could keep it to three. By the way, is that good? If it oh, was yeah. three nil? Oh, God, in the context of that game, yeah. If, if that's the positive. I mean, just think about what you're saying right now. If that's Andrew, the positive that you're taking away from a game, well, we only they, lost three nil to Villa. I, I I had them in my predictions as as uh, going down, and I feel they're nailed on to go down. It's just it's terrible. Um, there's a very good article by Jonathan Wilson in the Guardian prior to this game that gives context to where Everton were when they were one of the five breakaway clubs that wanted to form the Premier League. Everton were an elite side. They'd spent the 1980s finishing second or fir- and they finished first twice and won a European trophy and won an FA Cup. Mm. You know, they were an elite. They were part of, of the English football's elite. And you watch the way that was, that's been withered away over the years. All right, there was the Moyes years where it, seem to be stabilized years of stabilization but it's um they're going down i i i just the signings the, the staff the manager i mean they're they they look no better like the one thing you'd say about dice he comes in he comes in in and around the football club and what does he do his job is to get things solid, build from a solid base. Nothing they're doing is solid. And I know they 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 have a thin squad. I know they don't have the players. I know they've only signed like what two players in this window. Um but if they're not doing Dyche things, then why like Dyche being there is just not gonna help them. Um they're sunk. It's not good. It's not good. Um all right, let's leave the Premier League. JJ, let's come back over here. And head to Nashville, where Inter-Miami were crowned League's Cup champions. Um, Fun game. Fun tournament, to be honest. Uh, The the finish to to regulation. Oh, oh my God. What an absolutely exhilarating way for for 90 minutes or stoppage time of 90 minutes to to come to an end. I mean, Campagna on a breakaway with the goalkeeper chips in then misses, but is able to basically, he gets to his rebound, but then puts the rebound off the post. I mean, it's just, oh my goodness. That was such a passage of play, but I think I agree. I don't know who in the studio on the, in the Apple broadcast, I agreed with if it was Mo or Sasha or BWP, or maybe it was even Taylor Twelman. Um, he, he, he shouldn't have slid. He could have, he, he could have caught up to that. Now kept it in. Now he would have had to take two touches, one to stop it and then roll it back into his path to just tap it into an empty net. And I don't think the covering defender that comes into the picture later would have got there in time. But he elects to slide. And when you slide, you you lose that element of control. Yeah. And that's why he ends up hitting the butt of the post and not putting it into the net. What? What a finish to that game. And as for the penalties then. Oh, I mean, unbelievable. Penalties were incredible. Just the stress of penalties when they go that deep. And so you've got that that number of sudden death penalties that are taken. Um, I mean, as that number continues to grow and grow, the tension just builds and builds. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting. Like this, this let's be honest, this tournament for whatever they drew up when they when they concocted this idea, 
Could it have gone any better? I mean, I guess maybe if the Mexican uh, if the Mexican Messi. sides had 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 performed better, but yeah, but but Messi, I think was. I mean, look, they they gave him his debut for this tournament. I mean, like it felt like it was almost part of the whole thing. Messi, the Messi element is the element that makes this succeed. It just is. Everyone was glued to those games. He delivered every single time. The goal the other night, it was so good because when it when it when it breaks to him. His first touch is that tiny bit too heavy, but I think it's a bit heavy by design because it draws Walker Zimmerman, who he makes look like just... I mean, this is a guy who played in a World Cup. He makes him look Sunday league, skips around him, and then bends it round Dax McCarthy's... Like, he bends it round Dax McCarthy's challenge into the top corner. Yeah, it's a ridiculous but, goal. But that first little heavy touch that draws Zimmerman... It's Have just you, and then it's it's he's off to the races. He's there's, so there's a there's a video I saw JJ circulating. I, I got to find it and send it to you because I thought of you immediately as I was watching it because I know you know I, I know how much you you do love Messi and you respect his greatness and, and yeah you know, not to put words in your mouth but I think you acknowledge him as the greatest of all time. But yes. but you as much as anyone I know is always quick to point out just how much he walks he during walks. the course of a game. Walking so, is his tool. <laughs> but I, I I think I believe that. Like I believe that he uses it to his advantage. Like uh, there's a clip circulating of the goal that he scored, and it's about a minute twenty five in length. And it's somebody in the crowd. It's not an actual official Apple camera. It's just a guy on his phone taking video of Messi, yeah. and he's just following Messi. That's all he wants in this video is just Messi. The video is about a minute twenty five, and I'd say a solid minute fifteen of it is just. Messi walking as slow as a person can walk. And it's a funny visual because there's guys running all around him. It's soccer after all. Like there's people running all over the place and he's just walking, just walking here. I'm going to walk now to the sideline. I'm going to stand here. Okay. I'm going to walk over here. And then the ball comes free and bang, he's gone. He's like a cheetah. That's like spotted a wildebeest. He's gone at full speed. And then he's on the ball and then he scores. And it's just like, I guess it's the the brilliance of this guy that he knows how to conceive. He's kind of mastered the game. Like I know how to conserve my energy. Yeah. You guys, you run, you handle this. I understand what's happening here. I see, I'm seeing things that no one else is seeing. I'm going to walk. I'm going to stand over here. And then the second the ball comes free, he knows exactly where to be. He puts his hand up, it comes to him and he scores. And it's just like, I guess it's, it's a goal that almost encapsulates exactly what he is now as a player. It's. I got to find it. I think you would really take some enjoyment out of it. I've I've seen it. I stumbled across it tonight, and I oh, had a good, good chuckle. Okay. I had a good chuckle. Um, it's hard to believe he was part of a team that used to press. Unbelievable, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this experience. Whatever I, I don't know what I thought the messy experience was going to be. I know I was excited about it. It has, it has so far exceeded <laughs> whatever I thought I'd be getting. It's been. And look, I say this as a guy whose team took an absolute hammering at his expense. Putting my my personal fandom aside, it has been so much fun, so fun. I saw this because I saw this posted by uh, Elliot McKinley, who does some uh, work for American Soccer Analysis. He posted Lionel Messi scored ten goals from his twenty five shots in Miami's League's Cup championship run, based on simulating those. Shots 1.5 million times. The probability of an average player doing this is 0.042%. Messi is not an average player. He's right. I mean, like, 
Messi scored 10 goals, JJ, on an XG of 3.6. Like everyone wants to use what Messi has done so far as some kind of knock against MLS. He's scoring ridiculous goals. Some of these goals are absurd. And like for whatever knock you want it to be against MLS, yeah, fine. Like, like I've said, I've repeated this line over and over again. Are you surprised? Did you think MLS was the Premier League? And now you're having some revelation. Oh my God, this league isn't what I thought. Like, we, who? You're surprised that Messi is dominating MLS? Well, that, that's your problem. What's wrong with you? I went through it, JJ, just to remind everyone how great he is. Messi's, you know, for all these people that think, oh, you're getting a washed player and he's doing this here. His whoscored.com, you know, who scored, great site. They they do player ratings for every competition. It's very good. His who scored rating in league uh, last season was 8.28. The next closest in the whole league was Mbappe at 7.80. He wasn't even close. And Messi was far and away the top-rated player in league. Uh, you think, oh, that's league. Uh, I don't take that league seriously. Farmers League joke. Okay, fine. Messi's Champions League, the UEFA Champions League, his rating was 7.86. The next closest was Lewandowski at 7.83. Vinicius was 7.77. He was number one in the Champions League last year. That guy just won a golden ball in a World Cup. He's still one of the greatest freaking players you've ever seen in your life. Why are people trying to take this away and make this an MLS problem? This Uh, guy is great. He's ridiculous. And you're getting to see it in your league. People should be loving this. But they are. Like, they are loving it. And and I don't. Oh, I, I like, had a I, guy. I had one of the animals come at me. The league is a joke, Andrew, because I was trying to defend it last week. I didn't open it up. I just saw the, the headline. I said, ah, "I'm not messing with this. I don't want to deal with it." But it got to me because he's not alone. I see that all over the place. That this has been an opportunity to take shots at MLS. I don't get it. This guy's playing out of his mind right now. He's he's. I don't know. I think you and Taylor Twelman and everyone need to just stop. I mean, Taylor Twelman is. I won't do it. I promise. This is the tournament's over. I'm going to put this whole thing to bed, and I'm just going to just going to enjoy it. I mean, the most. It's hard to believe the most thing about irritating about thing about Messi coming to MLS is people constantly talking about like MLS is the the defending is terrible. Okay, the defending is terrible. Fine, and then but but more annoying than that is those who the people who consistently have to defend MLS. Because I feel like, like people are are missing. Like it's not, they're missing no, the si- thing I'm here. Sick like, of it. Like, like, but people are are like it, it's diminishing what Messi is doing, and like uh, I think that's not, wrong. I mean, I am not thinking stats or anything when I'm watching him stick that one in the top corner. I'm not thinking his stats. I'm not thinking the defense, the defenders. I'm not thinking about any of that. We, there's time well, for that, cold That's good day. for you. I'm happy that you say these things. You're right. You're I'm correct. Just enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we should all be doing. We should, Andrew. We should. Anything else? Uh, just real quick, uh, a couple other notes I wanted to mention. Jude Bellingham, you mentioned before. What a start he's off to at Real Madrid. Oh, my God. He's his, been unbelievable. His, his first goal against Almeria was um, bundled in, but the second one was a really good uh, goal. Nice header, brave header off a good ball from Tony Kroos. Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's settling in there, and apparently the... The fans have really taken to him. Well, why why shouldn't they? He's playing this good. What's his ceiling? I mean, good Lord. Um, wanted to mention, too, we haven't mentioned this, but Barcelona, so they pick up their first win at their new home. That's right, everybody. If you haven't been paying attention, uh, the new camp is undergoing major renovations. Um, and they're playing at the, the Montjuic, the Olympic Stadium. 
which I have been to, by the way, when I went to Barcelona and I, you could go in that stadium, you could walk around it. Um, when I was there, uh, Espanol were still playing there. I think it was in their second to last season. They left there in 2009. I was going to say Barcelona wouldn't, wouldn't be playing in Espanol stadium now. Um, no. With the way those clubs feel about each other. Like, you know, what, what... the Spotify new camp has been, uh, been renovated. Yeah. And so, uh, so it's going to be a little weird um, for Barcelona to be playing in this place. You know, it, it's not the easiest I mean, just from my memories of having been there, it's it's really it's at the top of a mountain. Like it's it's really amazing. You get an incredible view of the city. I mean, it's it's really picturesque. It's it's really cool. But in terms of in terms of accessing it, it's not it's not easy. Um, I was reading articles. You know, like when I when I went to the top of that stadium, we took a cable car up. Like, is that how people are going to be going to games? Like, I, I was reading that that's offered as a method of transportation to get to the stadium, uh, getting a cable car to, um, to was traverse stadium, a mountain. Was this was this stadium built for the 92 Olympics? Yes. Oh, it was. Yeah. Well, it was built long before. It's existed for a long time, but right. it was it was the Olympic stadium of the 92 Olympics. Um, and it's like I said, it's cool. It's beautiful. Um, but yeah, th- so I know there, there's been some concern about how they're going to get people to go to these games. They're offering bus service and things like that. I think they had 40,000 for this, which for this stadium is fine. I know Javi talked about how the, the he, I think they're really trying to play up fan support um, and try to rally the troops and get people motivated to go and watch them play there. Um, you know, he talked about how loud they were. They were singing throughout the game. It really helped the team. But um, it's going to be an interesting thing throughout the course of the season for a team that is so linked to that to that one place, to the new camp in Barcelona. I mean, you can't picture them anywhere else. Now they're they're going to be spending some time in this new home away from home until their stadium's ready. It's going to be different, but they they do win two nil. Um, so props to them. Harry Kane making quite a first impression for Bayern Munich. Picked up an assist and then scored a goal. Um, I mean, it looked like Harry he Kane. Did, and- it, and the goal was really good because I know the scoreline was uh, they bet Werder Bremen four nil, but like until Kane got the second in like the seventy fourth or seventy fifth minute, like you know it was still only one nil. <laughs> yeah, so they kind of they kind of ran away with it then later on. Um, Alfonso Davies get, assisted him on the goal. Pass was a little bit behind him, took it in stride, a little bit of deflection on the ball into the net. But honestly, it looked very Kane esque, very yeah. Kane like. Looks like, looks like he's settling in okay. And then finally, JJ wanted to mention. Um, Christian Pulisic, what a, what a just great, great goal he scored today on a played a little one, two with Olivier Giroud. And then he's kind of, he's like just outside the 18, sort of on the diagonal and he's in some traffic and he just suddenly unleashes one into the side netting. Great goal from him. Um, you could see what it meant to him. He just let loose. And it's, it's one of those things where like, if you're a Chelsea fan and you're watching, Polisic score on a nice assist from Giroud as they celebrate together with Tamori and Loftus Cheek, just like and as Chelsea are kind of struggling with all these, trying to integrate all these new players. Um, I couldn't help but I don't know find find some humor in it. I don't know if Chelsea found the, fans found, found the, humor the same, but yeah, yeah. I lo- I, I love did. the one too. I think Giroud is one of the best players in the world. If if you were running forward and you wanted to play a pass into his feet to get it back, he's he's just brilliant. And it was such a clean strike with not much backlift from from Pulisic. I want to finish with one thing though, Andrew, and I oh. don't mean to be I don't to me mean to be a Debbie Downer. Why but, uh, why end like this? Gio Reyna misses Dortmund's first game of the season with a calf injury. 
Um, Daniel Malin with the only goal in a one nil win over Cologne, but it it I I just saw the animals talk about. I think it was the animals I saw talk about. It. Some of our listeners on Twitter on X um, were talking about it, and it's uh, ugh, I don't know. I mean, we we now have to categorize him as a regularly injured player, even in this. You're hoping he grows out of it and grows out of it soon, but it's it's so disappointing. Not even on the bench. Um, Hopefully he's back soon, but um, yeah, it's just not good. It's not a good start, and no, and he's a he's he's a player of such talent that we we want, we need, we hope he can get over these uh, these injuries at some point. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I guess if we're going to end the podcast on on down notes, I should also mention that uh, the uh, the Portland Timbers fired Gio Savarisi tonight feel bad for him how about that yeah feel i bad mean they got cr- just crushed on sunday um by I mean, houston he had a good run uh you know and like there were some good days there certainly um was able to get them to the mls cup final twice um, twice seems like an all-around good guy um so uh i feel for him now that he's that he's been sacked um and uh, I guess as a as a former Cosmos manager, I am. Um, yeah, I just I wanted I wanted him to succeed there in MLS, and uh, well, I yeah, would say he a, did. It, look, if that guy wants to work again, I would think he'll work again um, in this league. I think, yeah, I think so too. Um, I mean, look, he'll always have that MLS is back he, tournament. He, he just seems very. That's true. He can always hang his hat on that. But yeah, he's um, yeah, he's a he's a popular guy. And um, yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. There you go. That is that's a pod. That's a that's a big old podcast there for you to chew on. Good for lord! Probably, do probably we even need to do a days. second this week? No. <laughs> you tell me. We'll we'll make a call later in the week. Okay. Well, I know you're on vacation. We'll see. We'll play this one by ear. Um, but yeah, this was this was a. I mean, look, you had two trophies handed out and a full slate of of big time Premier League action. You knew this was going to be a big one. I find myself saying that more and more each week. Yeah, I mean, it used to be you. It used to be me that stressed over the lengths of these pods. It's it's very much shifted to you now. It is. I think they're way too long, way too long, and we, we've got to we've got to do something about that. Oh, um, we've got to tighten it up, Andrew. Okay, got to tighten it up. All right, I'll, that's that's fair. That's a fair critique. And we'll see. Maybe the animals will weigh in, see what they think. Hey, I enjoyed it thoroughly. However long it was, I enjoyed every second of it. Might even listen to it myself. Maybe twice. How about that? JJ, have fun. And Avon, uh, I hope you enjoy the beach with your family. It should be nice. Nice few days there. Happy for you. Hey, to you I say... Check you later, fun man. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.